chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about, what your, uh, about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and yet they have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the, pagans run, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. In 2016, Manfred DeVries, Distinguished Clinical Professor of Leadership Development and Organization, wrote in a business magazine the following account. Pavel felt that he had had a good day. At the most recent board meeting of the Rowler Company, he had managed to push through a salary and bonus packet worth $20 million, taking his CO a CEO to worker pay ratio to 400. But in spite of this formidable pay packet, it did grind on him that some of his colleagues in other listed companies were making more. He comforted himself with the knowledge that he had other irons in the fire. His purchase of the most advanced Gulfstream corporate jet made him feel better, at least for the moment. He also gained a modicum of pleasure from the fact that the Rowler 
Growler paid for his 20 million New York penthouse apartment. Plus, he had a gorgeous expense account uh, set up to give him unrestricted opportunities to charge for personal items, including the cost of a yacht rental of 20,000 last summer. <clears throat> Despite these luxuries and perks, Pablo continued to question whether he deserved more. After all, wasn't he the mover and shaker of the company? Adding to his lingering sense of dissatisfaction was the thought that he still wasn't a member of the billion-dollar club. He wondered how he would be able to reach that milestone. As always, life is full of surprises. In the middle of a heated discussion pertaining to a takeover bid from which he stood to make a real financial bundle, Pobble had a stroke. For a short time, he was kept alive on life support. But soon after... It was death that put an end to his sense of never having enough. For Pavo, life without money had always seemed incomplete, but money without life turned out to be quite useless. Pavo is a good example of the greed and excess that is the hallmark of many executives. Greed is a characteristic that cuts across most human endeavors and goes back as long as our species has been on earth. Throughout humankind's history, greed has had a mixed press. On one hand, it has been hailed as the motor of economic growth and human progress. On the other, uncontrolled greed has been seen as the cause of much misery, as recent economic history has shown very dramatically. In spite of these examples, our culture continues to place a high value on materialism and, by extension, greed. That could be a modern-day parable to the rich fool that we just read about in Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. Years ago, there used to be a, a bumper sticker that every once in a while you still see these days. It says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Remember that? And it encapsulated the uh, materialistic worldview and became something of a slogan that promoted greed. Now, greed can be defined as thirst for more, a ruthless self-seeking, an arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own better, uh, benefit, the insatiable desire to have what rightfully belongs to others. And the thing about greed is that it can infect anyone, the poor as well as the rich. The same guy can be said about anxiety and worry. And in the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus addresses both, both of these topics, greed and anxiety. And Jesus starts with the former, greed. And he tells us this powerful parable, which we call the rich fool. But before I actually get into the parable, I want to say, remember that Jesus is attacking greed not wealth. He's attacking one's attitude toward possessions, not possessions themselves. And we would do well to keep in balance two verses from Scripture. 1 Timothy 6.10 states, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money, not money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And 1 Timothy 5.8 warns, 
Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and family, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we must keep in balance the scriptures when it comes to money and wealth. In our passage today, Jesus is looking at the negative side of wealth and the greed that it often breeds. While speaking to the crowd, someone shouts out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that Jesus has been said nothing about finances. This guy's remark comes out of left field. I could just see him sitting in a crowd like, like you, thinking about his inheritance the whole time I'm talking about something else. And it was not unusual for people to approach a rabbi to adjudicate a situation. But there was a time and place for such things, and, and this was not the time or the place. The question revealed that this man was not really interested in listening or interested in what Jesus had been saying because his heart was distracted over his inheritance. There are few things that can divide a family so quickly as an inheritance. There's much truth in the old saying, when there is an inheritance, 99% of the people become wolves. We might say vultures. And Jesus is stern in addressing this man, this guy. He says, man, and it's not a cordial response. It's given to a stranger. Who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? And he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Rather than directly speaking to the man's concern, Jesus is going to turn this into a teaching situation like he often does. He issues a stern warning with the words, watch out. It literally, literally means stare intently to avoid. It's a warning against all kinds of, the, of greed. One can be greedy for money, but also possessions, position, and pleasures. All are destructive, not only to others, but ultimately to themselves, as Jesus goes on to explain. And Jesus gives a countercultural answer. Not only countercultural then, but now as well. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So much for that bumper sticker. Life, real life, is not about possessions. A greedy person does not own possessions. He is owned by his possessions. And as such, he becomes a slave, and his whole life is spent feeding his master, whose name is more. And Jesus told them the parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, now notice how many times he talks about I. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he answered, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my bonds and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. 
then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This man is fortunate enough to have, blessed enough, shall we say, to have an abundant harvest. Unfortunately, that abundance does not translate into abundant generosity, but rather miserly hoarding. Nowhere does this man utter a word about God or others. Nowhere is there a word of gratitude to God for the harvest. Nor is there a word of concern for all those in need about him. He proves the saying, greed is like a termite. It's out of sight, but boring deep into our hearts. It doesn't attract attention as it eats away our ability to be generous. His greedy focus is all self-centered. We see this in his words. I've laid up a lot for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Grab for the gusto. For this rich man, life was all about him. Numero uno. His only concern for the future was to have nothing to do but change positions in the sun while not spilling his drink. But God had other plans. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. The term fool in the Bible signifies without reason, a want of of mental sanity and sobriety, or an uh, imprudent ordering of one's life in regard to salvation. It denotes one who is in rebellion against God and whose practices deny God. We're reminded of Psalm 53.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile and there is no one who does good. Last week, if you remember, we were talking about fear, and back in verse 5 of this chapter, it said, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That spoke of God's power and authority over life and his judgments. And in verse 20, Here, we read of God exercising those rights. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. The word demanded or required is a banking term, meaning to call in a note. The payment is due today. We all recognize that life is here on earth is short, but we often live as if it will never end. We lose perspective and we invert the importance of the here and now with the there and then. In his letter, James warns about this in chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. A man's, a rich man's concern for his possessions will prove folly. For that man, it will be this very night. 
It's folly, just like that bumper sticker. The one who dies with the most toys wins is folly. It's just like that famous quote from the movie Wall Street by Gordon Gecko: greed is good, it's folly. Even in a recent Money magazine, it had an article that had this paragraph. There is a misnomer that every rich person is greedy and every poor person is not. This is actually not true. And financial guru Robert Kurosaki said, the basic idea is this, having a generous spirit and giving back to the world will pay dividends. Investing in people and in projects that have real potential will reap rewards. On the other hand, hoarding your possessions, never giving to charity, and stockpiling wealth is not a positive way to manage money. I always like it when you find in secular literature what the Bible has been saying for years. 1 John 3:16. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Hebrews 13, 16, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Riches and possessions are not the answer to life or happiness. Being rich towards God and others is. And how can we be rich towards God and others? I am rich towards God when his glory is my highest goal. When worship is my deepest joy. And when his fellowship is my greatest satisfaction. I am rich towards God when I offer my abilities for his work without reservations. I am rich towards God when I take time to serve people in need and give the first portion of everything I get to Christian ministry. I am rich towards God when I decide that there are some things I can live without so that I can give to people who do not have even the gospel. This is being rich towards God. When it comes to wealth, we need to have a humble and generous spirit. Because greed is always at our door. If you think about it, probably 99% of every TV commercial wants to make you discontent. You need this car. You need that toothbrace. You need this toilet paper. Anything to make you discontent. The spirit that we should have it's found in Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Watch out for greed. And Jesus now turns a corner and moves away from focusing on rich to mainly the concerns of the poor. And once again, Jesus turns to nature to illustrate truths of his goodness. And he's speaking directly to his disciples here and encourages them. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wild flowers. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry. That sounds like you know that, that Bobby McFerrin song, you know? <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. And we say, well, Jesus, how can you say that? Don't worry. You know the world that we live in? First, we need to define what this really means. To worry is to have a distracting care, to be troubled with cares. Anxiety is probably a better translation. Jesus is not saying, don't be concerned. We're all concerned. But rather, do not let your worry paralyze you from doing what is right. Such anxiety can be troublesome and interfere with one's ability to function freely and calmly in our daily lives. Remember last week, we, Jesus was talking about the hard times that were coming to his disciples. He was talking about persecution and how they needed to stand firm in faithfully acknowledging him. Jesus there spoke about the sparrows. And now he turns to the ravens. Ravens were considered, like the sparrows, very common. But ravens were also considered unclean. In fact, Leviticus calls the raven detestable. And yet God, Jesus reminds them that God provides for even these common and unclean birds. And if that's the case, what are you worried about? Well, he loves you. You're much more valuable. And Jesus speaks about how all our days are already numbered. And we can't, though we lay awake at night with worry every night, add a single hour to our lives. Lottie Moon was a Southern Baptist missionary to China in the 1800s. As a single woman, she served in China for over 40 years. And once asked about all the dangers, the rebels fighting and at times bombs blowing up around her, they asked her, what about it? And she gave this great response. She answered, I'm immortal until God's work for me to do is done. And that just shows her trust in the sovereign Lord 
that she will not die one day too soon or one day too late. She will die on the day that God appoints. So until that day, I'm immortal. Jesus turns to the lilies. Lilies is in some translations. It's a Greek word. It can mean many different flowers. But the point is that these beautiful flowers are clothed but for a day, particularly in those desert areas when the rain suddenly comes and you've got this great bloom and then it's gone like in the heat of the next day. He says, how much more will God provide for you? And then Jesus resets their focus. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Obtaining food and water in that culture was much more difficult than it is for us today. But the food and drink also symbolize basic necessities. To seek and to... And to set your heart on something was to make it a priority. What we seek is important to us. It's what we live for. And those with a worldly perspective run after things, possessions, money, power, fame. One scholar clarifies what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He does not in any way mean that they must be lazy and neglect their ordinary work and duties, but that they must not allow their hearts to become so attached to material things that their inner lives are controlled by those, and they are not to be vexed and anxious about these things. Everyone must perform his daily task, which God gives him, wholeheartedly and to the best of his ability, but the inner life of the believer must not be caught in the clutches of materialism and anxiety with regard to worldly things. It's been said, wealth is a lesser good, a useful servant, but a miserable master. It's so easy to want the bigger house, the better car, the boat, the best named schools, and to go into debt to get them. And then the bills demand longer working hours and overtime, and the person finds no time to enjoy those things or to be with the family. So do not be possessed by possessions and the poisonous greed that drives materialism. Rather, as Jesus points out, by grace through faith, possess, know that you possess the kingdom. And we should advance the kingdom. But how do we really know if we are advancing the kingdom? There are some questions we can ask ourselves. Where do I primarily spend my energies? Is all my time and money spent on goods and activities that will certainly perish or in the service to God? The result of which will live on for eternity. It's interesting, last week I spoke of the fact that death is the greatest test of our faith. Guess what comes in second place? It's how we use our money and our goods. Does your checkbook reflect your faith and desire to advance the kingdom? But seeking the kingdom is more than just money. Dr. Dorian writes from 
Covenant Seminary, and he gives a short list of what that looks like. It's to seek the king to love him and obey him and trust him. It's to pray your kingdom come by praying for kingdom causes. It's to evangelize and to introduce others to our king and his salvation. It is to have an eye on social reform, helping the orphan and the widows and those in need. It's watching our language, controlling our tongue. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. That's seeking the kingdom. And finally, Jesus turns with comforting words and reassures his disciples and tells them to prepare for what is best. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's real tenderness in these words of Jesus as he speaks to his disciples as little flock. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. It's not a command or a directive, but it's speaking to one's heart to have a light hold on things. He's saying, hold them lightly and be ready to release them in the face of real need. In this way, our wallets will not wear out and we will be accumulating treasure in heaven. John Piper notes the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel swallows up the beauty of Christ in the beauty of his gifts and turns the gifts into idols. The world is not impressed when Christians get rich and say thank you to God. They are impressed when God is so satisfying that we give our riches away for Christ's sake and count it gain. And Jesus closes with a very pointed comment. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure, that's where your heart will be. What's important to you is where your focus will be. Store up treasure on earth and it will inevitably pull your heart in the direction of earth. Store in heaven and it will pull your heart towards heaven. Do we truly treasure Jesus and his kingdom? Do we allow anxiety to stunt our generosity and our service? Your heavenly Father loves you. He knows what you need. He will provide your needs. Sometimes directly, sometimes through others, sometimes in surprising ways. We need to trust him and then follow his word that we may live our lives worthy of the title Christian or Christ follower. Our Father knows exactly what we need and He is very capable to provide for our needs. He probably won't give us all our wants because usually those are misdirected. But He knows what you need. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So let us pray. Let us rest in our Father's arms, secure in His love, and stop being anxious about things. Let me close with this little nursery rhyme. Said the raven to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the raven, Friend, I think it it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you and thank you so much for your great love. Lord, we know that you love us and you care for us. You sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And Lord, help us to watch out and to protect our heart from all kinds of greed. Help us to keep our priorities straight. Help us to seek to advance the kingdom first and to find, Lord, satisfaction in you. May you be our treasure, dear Jesus. But that's where we want our heart to be. By your Spirit, help us to do that. And we'll thank you for it all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.